0: And and Johnston is excellent because he was an Ojibwe elder but also a PhD. And he went deep into the Wendigo and I cross-referenced his writings with the elders in the Ojibwe that I know and they confirmed everything. And what they say is the Wendigo is a giant human. A giant, ancient, cannibalistic human that abducts people.
1: Back at it, Nate. Making bad jokes. And good decisions. That's right. There's a tagline right there, dude. Save that.
2: So welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Maybe you're new to the podcast. Maybe you're just tuning in because your friend said, check these guys out.
1: And maybe you've listened to all of our episodes multiple times, but we're grateful to have you on this journey.
2: We started out with Bigfoot, and here we are. Just bigger feet. Today we're talking about the Wendigo, and its roots to the Nephilim. Not like the way Mark breaks it down.
1: And I love to, I love to talk North American creatures, This, this one is... Pretty rooted in in Native American and in North American history, and our friend Mark Carpenter, who of course you guys got introduced to with the Six Fingered Sorcerers, friend of Derek Olson, Ancient Origins, and new friend of the podcast
2: Maui Mark. You now we're more of an educational podcast, but I like laughing with our guests and having fun. Like one of our members said, when you when you made the joke, preferred stock cologne, that just that just set us apart. Thanks. Yeah,
1: I remember having that in my locker in seventh grade. <laughs>
2: it was cool water
1: no i thought also the michael jordan clone i didn't make that talk about the same thing if you don't know that's a deep cut right there
2: i think you were stealing your dad's old spice or Man, brute it good old ed rogers splashing on the, the brute speaking of <laughs> but if you want to join the blurry creatures family blurrycreatures.com slash members become a member of the show and join up help us out we spend a lot of time doing this and your help makes it all work and possible you get access to unreleased episodes You get to chat with us. We're chatting next Monday, 7 p.m. Central. We've got Discord, Facebook, Telegram. You can join in. Make friends with other members. And that's what a lot of people have been doing. It's gotten wild, Luke.
1: So we're going to keep it. Very wild.
2: Very wild.
1: So yeah, check out the website. If you already support the show, thank you. Check out out our website, blurrycreatures.com. Click on the Join Become a Member button. Watch the video. Mm -hmm. We are just trying to put the truth out, Nate, and, and, and let people think for themselves. And so... That's really what we want to do here is is, is give people things to think about and, and let them make up their own minds. But we've got Maui Mark coming on. That's right. He's a special guy. He's
2: going to put on his uh, Y5O shirt and slap some ancient history on you.
1: I just I just imagine him like a, like a big, greasy Burt Reynolds. That's right. You know, no, more Tom Selleck.
2: Yeah. That's what I meant. Burt Reynolds is fine, too. That meme's coming soon. But like Luke said, if you haven't joined our Instagram and shared some memes around, Come on over to Blurry Creatures at Blurry Creatures Instagram. Hang out with us. Look look at all of our memes and uh, join in the social social media fun. Even though social media kind of is lame, we have fun. All right, let's get Moai Mark. <laughs> Moai, Mark. You'll know what we're talking about at the end. But uh, let's get Mark on the show.
0: And the problem with the modern day church, they have a very truncated view of the
2: supernatural.
0: This backdrop that's just pregnant with all kinds of meaning associated with this Mount Hermon
2: event.
1: And this guy defects from the kingdom. That's a big
2: deal. So welcome back. We'll just hop in. Welcome back to the podcast, Mark Carpenter. You're an author, explorer, researcher, and we've already had Mark on the show once, episode 119, so those listening go back and listen to episode 119. Get yourself familiar with Mark. Mark, welcome back to the podcast. You write for Ancient Origins Megalithic Marvels, and you obviously have a lot of explorations that you've done yourself, and we we talked about some Chaco Canyon stuff last time. And today we're going to talk about the Wendigo, I think, right?
1: Yes, sir. The Wendigo, that is correct.
2: Luke, what do you know
1: about the Wendigo? Isn't that like the the deer man, the half deer, half man guy? Buckmaster.
2: <laughs> Buckmaster. That's a good name for it. If it's not the Wendigo, call it the Buckmaster. Like a jackalope. <laughs> a jackalope. <laughs> so anyway, w- welcome back, Mark. Thanks for getting blurry with us. So what, what differentiates the Wendigo from, say, Sasquatch or some of these other creatures?
0: Uh, that's a good question. You know, I
1: know you guys always start off with a Sasquatch nugget. Good. Mark is better at our show intro than, than we are, Nate, because we, <laughs> we didn't even do a proper here. <laughs> He's like, hey, by the way, you're supposed to ask me about Bigfoot, so here you hey, go. Hey,
2: didn't we already ask you about Bigfoot? I think we <laughs> yeah, already did. You know, we usually, if we... Yeah, I didn't
1: know if that was the... F- if we have repeat guys, we still so you got any new thoughts on Bigfoot, right?
2: What you didn't realize, though, Luke, that was a hybrid question. Oh, boy, What's go. the difference between Wendigo and Bigfoot? It was a hybrid. It was. It's true. It's a giant move. I could have done worse. I could have said, hey, why don't you invite the Buckmaster over for dinner? Because he never knows when to go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you you got to be warned when you ask me a question. You're like drilling into, into Saudi Arabian desert, man. You're going to get a oil.
2: <laughs> I love it, Mark. Your, you, your brain thinks like my brain. There's so many rabbit holes, it's hard to choose which one to go down. Luke's always banging his head against the wall when I'm on when I'm all over the place, but that's just how I roll. That's how I work.
1: Someone's gotta steer the boat, you know?
2: Where do we go? Yeah. (laughs)
1: Both are good, you know. You gotta
0: have the wild abstract thinking, then you gotta ground it sometimes too.
2: Yeah. Like last night we did an interview and The guy starts talking about alien uh, encounters as a kid, and then he works for the government and deep underground military. It was like each of these things you just said in the last two seconds is like its own podcast episode. Those are the hard ones, Mark. So let's try to let – I think it's good. We got a fence. The fence is the Wendigo. What are your thoughts on Bigfoot, Mark? Updated thoughts.
0: Jane Goodall is the undisputed heavyweight champion – of primatology. She is the queen of studying apes, monkeys, primates. And Jane Goodall says, and I quote, I know it exists. Mm. It meaning Bigfoot, okay? And she says this based on, well, if you know anything about Jane Goodall, you know that she is the master of primate calls. Jane Goodall can literally speak to the apes and the monkeys. And she's renowned for this all over the world. She's also she's also a philanthropist and really mm. brilliant and a great person and practically a saint. So I put a lot of weight on what Jane Goodall says, and she says that the indigenous people she has spoken to on different continents mimic the same call, and to her the only explanation for that is an unknown primate.
2: Mm. Yeah, her and Melb. That's, that's Jane Goodall.
0: She she is the expert. She is the
2: mainstream expert. Is this a new quote by her? Is this something she said recently, or is this, this is kind of older?
0: If you just do an internet search for Jane Goodall believes in Bigfoot interview, it was like a morning, it was like a morning radio show, mm. and they took callers. And a caller asked her, you know, the host wasn't going to ask her, but a mm-hmm. caller called in and said, do you believe in unknown species of, and the host was like, what are we talking about here? And Jane goes, oh, he, goes Me- he means Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said, well, you might be surprised to know that I don't think it's real. I know it's real.
2: So, I mean, and at this point in our podcast, I, I feel the same. Me and Jane, we'd be, we'd be pals. I'd tell her. Yeah. Yeah, I know it's out there, too.
0: That's more yeah that's more just for the uh for the deniers. Yeah. If you're confronted by a denier folks, yeah. And they, you know, they say it's ridiculous, say well Jane Goodall disagrees with you and so do I.
2: So when you when you talk about Sasquatch and the Wendigo though, mm. let's move into the weird. Okay. What is the difference between these guys? Cuz it sounds like the Wendigo is more like a skinwalker type of creature. It's more like a Bigfoot zombie. Yeah.
0: I think a lot of this problem is our limited perception (laughs) and then how we generally like to categorize things and lump them together and put them in boxes and and then we get comfortable with that. I will say I think there's definitely a a really strong relationship. There were quite a few different species of humans. Now, if you want to go the biblical perspective, then, of course, the narrative talks, of course, about Nephilim and all their descendants, their very descendants. If you believe, you know, or if you look in like the ancient traditions of other ethnicities, the Greco-Roman, for instance, of course, they have a similar tale about Olympians spawning demigods. The point I'm trying to get to is I think they're very closely related yet different species of ancient invasive hominid hybrids. The Wendigo being a bigger, more ancient, more dangerous, and malevolent uh, variation, whereas Sasquatch is a more recent, probably, I could be wrong about that, he could be more ancient, but he seems to be more omnivorous or vegetarian And passive towards humans, whereas the Wendigo is predatory. Mm. Then again, there could be a limited understanding of Sasquatch. And it's simply that it's a different variation uh, and individuals can be different, right? Like one single one could be nasty Mm. and other ones could generally be passive. So there's a lot of mystery there.
2: Do you think that the Wendigo is an actual creature, like a goat man or something? Because it definitely looks like he's a hybrid of multiple creatures. He kind of looks like a rake. Yeah. A lot of people depict him as having horns. Mm -hmm. It's like a cross between a lot of things. Yeah. Or is it some kind of skinwalker? Well, I would direct
0: the best source on Wendigo are, well, is one in particular elder and scholar Basil Johnston. Well, he's deceased now, but he left a whole bunch of writings behind, and they are brilliant. And and Johnston is excellent because he was an Ojibwe elder, but also a PhD. And he went deep into the Wendigo, and I cross-referenced his writings with the elders in the Ojibwe that I know, and they confirmed everything. And what they say is, the Wendigo is a giant human a giant, ancient, cannibalistic human that abducts people. Mm. They don't really say anything about the horns or anything like that. They generally regard that it has supernatural powers. And there's uh, a story that I want to relate to you guys about the Wendigo because not only does it reveal to us what the Wendigo uh, is, but also it screams uh, the missing person phenomenon. Okay, so for starters, description of the Wendigo says that they are gigantic, but not necessarily gigantic because they grow in proportion to the amount that they eat. So the more they eat, the bigger they will grow and they could get incredibly...
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just outward, not upward, right? <laughs> I was gonna say I'm growing round too, yeah, right. but I think
0: they mean tall. What's
2: well, so up? Is this kind of like there are animals that like grow to their cage size? You know, they'll mm. if you put them in a specific, or like a fish in an yeah. aquarium, yeah, or like even some I think some reptiles do that too as well.
1: I'm glad
0: you brought that up because the descriptions of the of the to go from the OGB uh, go deep into how its skin is perpetually tight like a drum against its body and it it is gaunt or emaciated. So it's like constantly starving and it says that its appetite can never be satiated. It can never be satisfied because the bigger it gets, the more food required to sustain it. And you just mentioned other species like reptiles. Well, this links directly to the Nephilim and the biblical narrative, because right now in Florida, we've got 25, 30 foot long Burmese pythons that are running amok in the Everglades. Mm -hmm. And that's because they're invasive. Their indigenous environment is Burma in Southeast Asia, but pet collectors have inserted them into the Florida Glades ecosystem. So this makes them invasive. And now that they are invasive, what do they do? They go through and they eat everything. And they grow really huge, too. Mm -hmm. If you do an internet search, you'll find crazy images of, like, 30-foot Burmese pythons being found dead by fishermen. And they're dead because they tried to swallow, like, a 12-foot crocodile. Or, I mean, alligator, excuse me. The point is, the biblical narrative states that the watchers, of course interbred with homo sapien women spawning this hybrid species the nephilim well if you had a hybrid species of human then theoretically it would behave invasively towards the entire planet and therefore you would have a species of big giant hybridized humans running amok all over the planet eating everything in sight Mm. including the
1: regular humans that's, I mean, that's exactly what they talk about in the gold age Golden Age, Nate, is that giants were taking over, they were cannibalizing, they were eating, they were just, they're eating all of the resources and people. It's interesting, Mark, because, you know, when you look up for information on the Wendigo, you do get this really interesting sort of Nephilim feel to the whole thing. And also the story is like, very much sounds like Nimrod, which is strange and striking, like that it originated from a legendary hunter who turned to cannibalism and became A monster, and we know with Nimrod, Nate, and we talked to Laura about this, about how he became a Gabor, right he He was the he was the figure in the Bible who was a legendary hunter who became a Nephilim by by some sort of well, you would assume ritual at that point because it wasn't through you know progeny with with the Watchers. He wasn't the progeny of, as far as I know, wasn't the progeny of the Watchers, but he became. In, in the same way, and it sounds very similar, right? You're like, this is Nimrod, yeah, and then the giants, because it's it's got an insatiable, cannibalistic, you know, appetite.
2: Like you were saying, though, Mark, you think about it like it's a species that shouldn't be here. Every single time you see that in nature, what does it do? It creates this crazy imbalance. And I, I know we've talked about this for some 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 reason. I'm not thinking about it in that sense. But when you talk about the pythons being in Florida, they didn't originate there. It's like, well, yeah, it just creates this giant problem and then now they're paying people to kill them they're such they're so bad and that's what happens you know up having I mean, to exterminate them and yeah. i think that's what happened with the giants we were just we went on an extermination parties and went out and kill the giants you know because they're the <laughs> worst you hear stories of those things but now you if you think about it in that sense of them being an invasive species all the stories make sense
0: they do and i'm gonna suggest that the wendigo If you follow this rabbit hole, and I mean the evidentiary rabbit hole, not just, you know, stories and videos and, you know, like... YouTube. Yeah, yeah. But if you follow the evidentiary rabbit hole, what you will find is that there seems to have been an east to west migration, just as... In the same way that Homo sapiens spread westward through Europe and eventually to the New World, through their own conflicts and geopolitical whatever... I think so, too, on, in a much earlier time did these hybridized species flee the exploding human population, and they fled west just as uh, Homo sapiens would follow them later. And, and I say the evidentiary hole because you've got the biblical descriptions, but then you've got hominids all throughout Europe who practice cannibalism in the caves, but then you get over here to the Wendigo. And they have this very specific description of perpetually gaunt and gigantic size. And then you have the scientific validation, right, of the behavior of invasive species
2: Mm.
0: on a human level. Mm. And then it gets really wild when you start looking at the areas, the geography of the Wendigo Territory. You find archaeological anomalies in geographic proximity. And, as if that's not crazy enough, and you find modern phenomena of missing people in similar geographic clusters in the same area. Mm -hmm. So we got his description that he's perpetually skinny. Oh, and they also mentioned that he smells like death. He smells like rotting meat. And I keep saying he, but they're females as well. They smell like rotting meat and they're gigantic and cannibalistic. And they seem to vaguely suggest that they have supernatural power, but they don't really, the Ojibwe really don't get into that. But the story goes like this. There was an Ojibwe boy who vanished from his village, just gone. There one moment, gone the next. And the boy was snatched and abducted by a wendigo a giant Wendigo that took him on a long journey. They stopped periodically and the Wendigo would scratch and cut the boy to see if he was ripe to eat, to see to check the fat on his his fat content like the way we do with tuna. And he was not satisfied with the boy's level of fat, so we fed him berries and leaves and nuts and stuff that they he picked from nature. And he kept taking him further and further away. And he kept scratching him more and more. He was never satisfied with the fat content. So finally, he drops him off at another village and he instructs the boy. Apparently, they could communicate to go and fatten himself up on regular native food. But when the boy gets to the village, he tells the people, I'm being abducted by a Wendigo. And the villagers heard the Wendigo making some kind of sound off in the off in the trees, as if he was saying to the kid, you know, keep your mouth shut. So the villagers got together and they went on a hunting party and they found the Wendigo and they slaughtered it and they came back to the village. And the medicine man said, you better go back because that thing's probably not dead. It's not It's not normal human like you think. So they went back to where they had hurt the Wendigo. And sure enough, he was alive, yet dismembered. And he was eating himself and they said this is this is sick but they said is that good and he said oh yeah it's real good i've been eating lots of indians my whole life and at that point they really killed him
2: a good sunday morning story for you yeah (laughs) so i mean we've, we've we've talked about this a little bit just you know the difference between with like mothman sightings for example they categorize everything as Mothman. I mean, that they put them in these boxes, and I think that it sounds like yes. the Wendigo looks like a, like a beast with, like, horns and stuff. And that might have just—the lore of it kind of, you know, continued on, and people—like, the moose on the loose or whatever. It, it looks like, a, you know, kind of a, a crossbreed between a moose. But it could be more of a Nephilim-type creature that has some sort of— and we know that the, the Nephilim had genetic disorders. This sounds like a, this is just my own, off the top of my head, a Nephilim that has like a pituitary issue. Maybe it has some sort of like thyroid problem. So it's just constantly losing weight, super skinny, but it's still tall. Am I in, is this just way too weird? What do you think?
0: No, I don't think so. Their hybridization wouldn't just be a simple matter of like, the qualities of one species mixed with another, it may have, like you said, we're talking about sort of an unnatural, imbalanced thing here. And so they might have had all sorts of weird genetic anomalous mutations.
1: Uh, Mark, let me pull some threads here. So we're oh. Are we somewhat able to conject that possibly this this creature could be, you know, the conquest of Joshua, the fleeing of the giant tribes from Canaan? We have this diaspora west and south and every other other direction, and then you have these isolated populations of, of hybrid giant hybrid beings, and then you have the whole supernatural thing is interesting as well. I know that, that there are certain things that giants are able to do because they're were the progeny of, of the of angels as well. So it just sounds a mix of the giant story you know the the nephilim story and then some of what we hear with bigfoot as well and and that could just be because they're somewhat related you know that could be just that like the fact that that they kidnap people and that they disappear and they have a smell and they live in the woods but it's man some of these characteristics feel spot on with what we find the biblical narrative about the giants of the golden age and then we know that there were giants after the flood it's it's fascinating so my question to that is because this exists in native american folklore do we have predating folklore to other cultures that have the same or similar type of creature with some sort of regionality whether it be like you know central Mesoamerica South America because I don't mean, know that's where, kind of where your your sweet spot is are oh, we yeah. seeing are we seeing this not just in the northern regions of Canada where a lot of the windigo specific nomenclature is for this this creature well
0: you have just struck the nail on the head of all of my research I don't mean to in, spoil. in my not to spoil state, it then <laughs> No, no, this is where the research takes you. And so it's not really my theory so much as I am a detective following the trail of just what you just said. And to answer your question, yes, there are traditions uh, pre and post Mm. biblical or Wendigo. Although to be fair, it's very difficult to know how old an oral tradition is. The natives could have been telling this tale about the Wendigo for 10,000 years, and they may very well have been. The
1: similarities, the parallels are, ver- are very fascinating, considering a lot of times, you know, when you look at it, in mythology and ancient folklore, you have many people talking about sort of the same typical thing. It just is, there's some, some region specifics to sort of the, the same vessel, if you would.
2: Well, so... I was doing some research that a couple of days ago actually on the term berserker. That's how it starts.
1: That's how it starts, Nate.
2: No way. <laughs> Let's go. So my question is is just is the Wendigo getting confused with like its clothing? Maybe it puts on hair and like this antler helmet thing mm-hmm. and it looks like it looks like it's a it's got a it's a hybrid, but it's just a giant with all this crap on its back and its head and it's like dressed up. Has like a uniform. Like the Vikings did this, you know? They Yeah. They wore stuff. They were they were scary looking, but they didn't have horns growing out of their heads.
0: Well, I I would suggest two uh probabilities with the horns thing. One, there are reports of some of these uh burials with the giant skeletons also had horns. Yeah. Now, they certainly don't They certainly don't describe antlers. They describe more what we would think of as, like, satyr bumps. Mm-hmm. Okay, another thing is, of course, I'm sure you guys remember uh, all our uh, spooky talks about the <laughs> sorcery and the skinwalkers. Well, actually, this is from your other guest who discussed the skinwalkers. Uh, forgive me for getting his name. The uh, Navajo, John, yeah, Ranger. John, John, John Redbird. Thank you, thank you. Um, he talked about how they use the animal hides in their witchcraft. Yep. So I absolutely one hundred percent believe there's a direct genetic and cultural link between my six fingered sorcerers of the Chaco Desert to these fellas up here in the Northeast. And so they may use animal hides as clothing uh, or also in their witchcraft. Mm-hmm.
2: Which just yeah. adds to the spooky details. It, it comes is, out of the... <laughs> it's yeah. just like, how do we make um, ourselves look I as creepy have, as possible?
0: I do have, believe it or not, a direct evidentiary link to the promised land in the uh, the land of Canaan and uh, this area of the Wendigo.
1: Hmm. Well, come on now, yes, sir.
0: So, so <laughs> Barry Barry Fell was a Harvard professor, and I believe the dean of students. This was quite some time. I don't. I, I honestly don't remember the date. Definitely decades ago. Maybe the better part of a century. Anyway, Barry was a zoologist. But he was also just an all-around genius, a scholar. He spoke like four languages, including Hebrew. I think he spoke and wrote Aramaic, which is impressive. He uh, was an invertebrate zoologist, but he also was an epigrapher who deciphered ancient glyphs. Hmm. Now, you won't hear about this, but they're out there. There are boulders that appear to be megalithic structures in the Northeast. Mm Mm-hmm. Hudson Valley, and this is the region that I'm really interested in, the Hudson Valley and the Champlain Valley. Really, we're talking Massachusetts, New York, and Vermont, up there, all the way up there to Lake Champlain in Canada and beyond. Hmm. But there are huge boulders there that are placed
2: atop smaller boulders. Hmm, Like
0: Yes, they resemble the dolmens of Europe and Asia. Now, some of these boulders have inscriptions. And Barry fell the uh, I, he was also a minister, I think I forgot that. He was a minister, he was a zoologist, he was this brilliant guy and he and, and a Harvard professor. And he deciphered these glyphs on one of these boulders in Massachusetts and he deciphered them to be Phoenician. And not only were they Phoenician, they were occult and ritualistic in nature. I hereby dedicate this to Baal on behalf of my ancestors, you know, sheriffoth of whatever.
2: Hmm. And the Phoenicians were sea travelers, right? They're the original sea travelers. They thers. were. Yeah.
0: They were. and they. But the important thing to remember about them is that they hailed from the land of Canaan and that they were one of these cultures that was Nephilim descendant. And hmm. so that's practically a direct link. And then now, okay, so these inscriptions are disputed. Smith, Guess who? Our friends at the
2: Smithsonian. Oh, we love those guys.
0: So I've got them, I've got them in a court of uh, court of law lie here. They say that these inscriptions uh, translated, the translations by fell don't meet the standards because he was a zoologist, but that's actually not accurate as a modern-day expert in uh, Mayan inscriptions, backed Fell's interpretations and said that it is a fact that Ogham language uh, was indeed here present in the ancient Americas.
1: Hmm. So there
0: are experts, real experts, Hmm. uh, defying the Smithsonian here and defying the peopling of America's narrative, suggesting that ancient Phoenicians we're here and present, and I do not think the Nephilim description and the Wendigo description could possibly be coincidental. It's We're way beyond that at this point.
2: That's wild. So, I mean, you know, on our show, we get in trouble a lot, Mark, because people think that it's cut and dry. If you talk about any of these, these ancient people groups, you're, you're sort of, you're, you're pushing white supremacy, you're pushing racism, all this other stuff. As our show grows, we hear more and more of that. It's just way more complicated. These occult tribes were interbreeding. It doesn't mean every Native American was compromised, but Oh,
0: I'll go ahead and destigmatize that whole thing right now. There there's absolutely nothing derogatory aimed at Native Americans by any of this. My ancestors hail from central Italy, the Etruscan kings. I mean, those dudes were Nephilim. And, and they were cannibalistic, black magic, practicing uh, bad boys. And just because they're my ancestors doesn't mean I have some cultural obligation uh, to be down with what they were down with. I bet you if anybody traces their family lineage back far enough, they're going to find some psychopath that they want nothing to do with. <laughs>
1: Right, and I got to ask you, Mark. Is uh, you don't by chance happen to have six fingers on your right hand? <laughs> you never
0: see my hands. You never see my hands.
2: You're like, what? Wait,
1: well, no. there it is. There it is. No, no. It's 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 fascinating, Nate, too. That I, I think on that on on that note, too, that if we remember, all of this originates in the Middle East as well. So the idea this has anything to do with anything other than trying to unpack the sort of untold parts of history is just is is pulling is pulling at straws. It's just.
0: Yeah. Remember what we were saying about the invasive species. So if you theoretically had a spawned human and non-human invasive species, well, of course they would have, and we know that they interbred further with Homo sapien women. And see, the fossil record reflects this with Neanderthals and their mating with Homo sapiens. And yes, guess what? They were primarily European, I should say European people, homo sapiens, have the closest genetic link to uh, hominids like that. And I mean, you know, traits like, yeah, red hair. I mean, this is a specifically Neanderthal trait and also is linked to uh, Nephilim genetics. So you got that going for you.
2: Which is nice. (laughs) Caddyshack. Look at you, Luke. 80s movies. Sorry, Luke, I I cut you off. You were bringing us back on track.
1: I find that fascinating as well because this sort of thing also exists in like, as we just talked about in the skinwalker and the shapeshifter culture in the sense that there is this very supernatural element to this scary creature that happens to be named, you know, named and specifically in, you know, in the Americas here with, with, with the Wendigo and, and it's, um, (laughs) it's cousins apparently.
0: Yeah. So I, I've got something good for you on that the 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 demonic aspect we go uh back to enoch i I keep returning uh to to Enoch in Enoch seven because there's there's rich detail there, and for anybody who might think that these texts were eliminated from the canon because they were somehow uh fictional, I'm afraid that's not accurate. We know that in Jesus' time. These texts were absolutely uh, used, learned, studied, and part of the the canon. But that, that's not neither here nor there. What what interests me is these descriptions cannibalistic. We we st- you see you stack these things up next to each other, and you get almost like a uh, spreadsheet. And then that's when you know you're really on to something. And and when we stack these up, we've got invasive species, gigantic in size, cannibalism. Abnormal features besides giant size, six fingers, long necks, one of them is described. And then also we have this forbidden knowledge, this occult knowledge. Some of the the knowledge was more uh, scientific in in nature, metallurgy, for instance. But there was most certainly uh, occult, demonic, black magic practices taught. Okay. Now, we stack it up on the other side, and we have giant cannibals, weird features, abducting people. And yes, there is a demonic, spiritual, black magic aspect to them as well. And the one that interests me the most is the manipulation of the weather. Mm. You might recall, for anybody who's not familiar with the missing 411, as it is known, phenomena, People disappearing all over North America under very peculiar but similar sets of circumstances. They deviate from the group. They vanish. There's usually a big weather incident right upon time when the search begins. Not when they disappear, but when the search begins. There's another really relevant detail there in that pattern is occasionally someone is found, it's usually a child, and the child is often in a daze and they cannot remember what occurred. They're often found a great distance and higher elevation than from where they vanished. And in some cases, they're covered in scratches. I submit to you that the weather events are the black magic of the Nephilim descendants in order to interfere with the search so they are not discovered and then i would submit to you that these scratches on the children who are found was them testing their fat content and ultimately they determined that they were not worth the exposure and they left them behind
2: That's crazy because I mean we're, we're we're finally getting some traffic with um, David Politis coming on the show. So this is this is good. This is going to come out in in time when we're talking about these things. So, I uh, I tried to
0: correspond with him and told him I knew the answer to his mystery and he didn't like that too much
2: (laughs) yeah i mean he said to me
0: nobody has a theory and i was like well i do dave i do yeah and it's actually beyond a theory because i have more a lot more evidence hard evidence
2: so i don't want to get down that rabbit hole because i really want to go back to the weather phenomenon you were just talking about but finish your thought and then i'll ask you a question about the weather yeah
0: no no that's good because the weather phenomenon leads somewhere else too but okay so This is just one of quite a few perfectly valid historical accounts of giant bones being discovered in this exact same geographic location. And when I say this geographic location, we're we're triangulating Wendigo accounts, abnormal skeletons found, megalithic structures with Phoenician carvings on them, Mm. and modern day missing people. These things all correlate geographically, which is why I know we're not talking about some myth. And it's not really a theory because all of this can be proven like this right here. This is a report of a giant skeleton found in that same area. The remains of a circular tumulus now having a diameter of 30 feet with an altitude of 7 feet situated 40 yards from the eastern border of the lake. The mound has been excavated in 1822. A number of skeletons of very large size were exhumed and examined by a medical doctor. One of these skeletons measured nearly nine feet. Huh. And, and just in case you're wondering, that's not just a uh, newspaper. That's Theseus Cheney. 1830, 1878. He founded New York's Geographic Society, published a bunch of scholarly works. And that, that one particular is from Ancient Monuments of West New York, 1860. And those are the Casada Daga Lake Mounds. Wow. that's wild. And there's more. That, that is That is just one report. There's quite a few more, like two dozen more. I might as well just tell you this. The New York Giants football team is named (laughs) because of the giants that were discovered in new york and they tell some fairy tale about how the coach walked in that the team had no name and the the coach walked in and said play like giants and they won the game so they called them giants i'm calling bs on that story
2: where did he learn about giants though where did the coach learn about the giants yeah so nate what did you
0: uh what do you want to ask about the weather thing
2: yeah that's fascinating because we get a lot of links every day to like different conspiracy theories and one of them is like weather control and chemtrails and all the thing they're trying to do controlling the weather but it makes you think of like the way that humans technology rivals the giants and the Nephilim it's it's very different but it's same goals like if you think about it and like, they could telepathically communicate. How do we do that? We get we build iPhones. They can they can control the weather. Well, how do we do that? We sh- we <laughs> shoot aluminum in the air or particles in the air. But I want to talk about this weather phenomenon a little bit more in detail. Like I remember a few things in the Bible, like obviously the clouds and and there's weather manipulation there. But does doesn't Satan bring a strong wind to kill Job's children? And I mean, obviously he was rumored to be a seraphim, so he could do that. And so these hybrids would be sort of closely related to them or in the same sort of class. But I I don't know a lot about the weather and manipulation with the, when it comes to the Nephilim creatures, but it's but there's rumblings of those stories. And I was just wanted to say, just like yeah. turn over some stones there. That sounds yeah. fascinating. R-
0: Christ did it too. Sure. He manipulated that storm, remember, in the boat. Test the yeah. faith of his homie. That's right. But uh, this is a, an excellent segue because the bell that this rung for me was ancient tradition of the polynesians you know i lived there i lived well i was based in maui for about a year they called me maui mark <laughs> who did uh, i love that i'm, I'm, oh, I'm keeping yeah. that you know what you should oh, yeah. never
1: you should never have said that maui mark <laughs> so yeah that's it, that's maui it mark. from, that's yeah, it from I'm, now i'm on. kind of a, i'm kind of a
0: big deal people know me
1: <laughs> <laughs> Dude, this guy this is this nope. is one of this is kindred spirit man we got movie quotes we got nicknames now yeah yeah, well, that's how I knew I had to come on here. When I when I heard it
0: before, I was like, oh, man, I got to get on here. Um, yeah, but, but okay, so moving over to uh, Polynesia, if our rabbit hole helmets can uh, sustain that. So over in Polynesia specifically, let's talk about Easter Island for a moment, Rapa Nui. Mm. So there we've got the colossal Moai heads. Everybody knows about the Moai. But nobody knows really about the Moai Kavakava. The Moai Kavakava are another form of ancient iconography practiced on the island, but they're not big stone heads. They're these freaky-looking wooden carvings uh, that were small, but still pretty big. I mean, I, I don't know. They're, they're the size. They're like a foot and a half tall or something. But these Moai Kavakava used to be worn according to the natives, by a separate race that lived on the island with them and ruled over them that they called the Long Ears. Mm. The word for it was like Hanaoha, which means long ears, and they were the short ears, which to me screams two species of of human. But when you look at the Moai Kava Kava, do an internet search and look at the images, and then, while you're looking at those images, read Basil Thompson's description of the Wendigo, and you have a perfect one-for-one match. Giant, gaunt, skinny, weird anatomy cannibals.
2: Mm. And yeah, We talked about this with, with Derek Olson. Yeah, we did an episode on Easter Island, but also, the, you know, these giants have physical anomalies. There's not, mm. there's not just one size fits all giant. And I love this conversation because it's sort of some thoughts I've had in the background that the physical anomalies separated them, gave them maybe even a different tribe name, put them in some location. It's not just, I think they had something else going on. And this sounds like they're skinny, emaciated, tall, long-eared giants, and they're picking on the little humans on the
0: island. Well, not just picking on them, but forcing them to engage in a demonic cult in which they were required to offer themselves as sacrifice. That's wild.
2: Do you think they did that to all human groups around the world? Pretty much.
0: Well, okay, when they could, if they couldn't, if they didn't have the numbers to build themselves a temple and set up shop with a cult, then they would just go hide off in the secret places in the mountains and whatnot and just abduct people. Because they know, they know we grossly outnumber them and they fear us for that. And so they know Mm. that's also another aspect of the 411 mystery, which is that the reason why they snatch people who are alone and that we can never find them is because they have, they are careful not to attack a group because they know that will result in the old. Picket, you know the, the the burning torches and everybody going up the mountain like the old day to kill the monster.
2: Yeah, where do we get those those ideas? So so the the Moai mm. is that where the Wendigo like ended up? That was the last the last the, the last battle of the Wendigo was on in on Easter no, Island. No, I don't
0: think so. I think they still live to this day. Uh, but I see what you mean. You
2: mean like? But was that like the main concentration of them? Yeah.
0: Well, I I think that they were perpetually being run off their territory by exploding populations of Homo sapiens. And then you get thousands of years of them being scattered about random wildernesses all over the planet. And so it's kind of impossible to track precisely. But when we find a Phoenician inscription, you know, in Massachusetts, then we can pretty safely assume that, you know, its carver came from... The middle east in a much more ancient time and yeah we can safely assume that the easter island nephilim probably rolled up much later than that they were probably being further chased off of asia and
2: north america because i, I asked that question because on you know doing this show as long as we have there seems to be a group of giants that are like the titans mm. they're beautiful they're like mm. Mm-hmm. They're like giant Brad Pitts, you know. They're walking around. They're they're seducing all the women. They are the god kings, and then there are these like long-eared, long skull-looking yeah. freaks. And I'm just trying to figure out how. No, I I got you. The but the, the, the more, diversity, like when people say Nephilim, they're they It's a lot of it's a lot of creatures. The you more know? their genes,
0: okay. The more the watcher genes were intermingled with earthly creatures, that's when it got weird and ugly. So the more Watcher one of these beings were, the more beautiful and right they looked because their genes were more pure. But when they got all the weird earthly stuff, then sort of like amplified by Watcher genetics, then that's when you get big, ugly, weird looking.
2: Like troll type. Yep. Beasts. Yeah. The Wendigo, though, are a specific breed of them, specific type of giant. Yeah,
0: if I had to guess, I would say they are Raphaim or Anakim ancestors, descendants. They're certainly not OG 50%ers. They're, and oh, I mean OG as in original gangster, not as in Og
1: of Bashan. It works. I mean, see, I like where your head's at. It, it works. It works <laughs> yeah. There's
0: a chapter in my book called OG, yeah. the original Gangs," But the, the Easter Island aspect goes real deep, fellas, because the first ever uh, European explorer who coined the name Easter Island, Dutch explorer, Jacob, I can't pronounce his last name. Don't worry about it. He rolled up on the shores, and he chronicled that there were 12-foot-tall giants living on the island. There's more. The first real, all the archaeology done on the island screams cannibalism. For anybody who wants to verify that, Sean McLaughlin, Rapa Nui expert, author, and scholar, wrote an essay called, I think it's Cannibalism and Easter Island. The Easter Island cannibal question, anyway, it's filled with reports of archeological reports of cannibalism. The natives say that they eventually rebelled against their cannibalistic overlords and that they trapped them in a cave and smoked them out. And this was long thought by scholars to be a legend until archeologists found evidence of the huge fire that indeed did trap humans, indeed in a cave where cannibalism was practiced. So that that ancient tradition has come crashing into reality now. Sounds like Lovelock, doesn't it? It sounds identical to Lovelock. And now you're starting to see the giant killer pattern where Homo sapiens have been in conflict with these things for millennia. But there's one more really amazing aspect about the Easter Island Moai Kava Kava. There's only like 40 of them in museums, and they're sort of scattered around the world. David Attenborough recently bought one at auction. He believes it to be Makemake, make, the deity of the Rapa Nui people, who I suspect is an OG Nephilim, mm. or perhaps just a really old descendant. But regardless, I'm watching a video of Attenborough's Kava figure. It's got six fingers.
1: Interesting. hmm Really?
0: It's got six fingers.
1: Polydactyl. So,
2: is that part of the, the equation, the inbreeding? If they were inbreeding to save their, preserve their genetics, then that would create more physical anomalies? Mm, I mean, whether, whether the anomalies
0: are the result of inbreeding or the result of the hybridization or some combination of both, I think it's the physical and iconographic evidence of it that's really significant because we'll never know. I mean, unless we start our own genetics lab and get to sorting this stuff out, we're never going to know how exactly the deformities crop up. It does seem, though, that the gigantism and the polydactyly is a more ancient trait our more ancient traits. Probably all the weird ones are. So in other words, the more human they became, the more those traits became diluted. Right.
1: Yeah. yeah. Easter Island's yeah. fascinating because, you know, if you haven't listened to the episode and you're listening now and you haven't listened to the one we had, Derek Olson, it's worth a listen and then to come back and, and, and for context here, because much of what the lore on Easter Island is, is that these, these 12-foot giants, essentially the long-eared, they warred with the Polynesian people there and they created the Moai and the Moai... Are full-bodied and supposedly walked to their places of where they were stood. There's a lot of crazy stuff there that doesn't really make it into the, you know, into the Encyclopedia Britannica version of of, of what's happening at uh, at Easter Island.
2: I, I prefer Funk and Wagnalls. Oh, well, yeah. thank
1: you, Nate. I was just trying to go with what you know. If you had a, if you've got a full volume of Encyclopedia Britannica <laughs> at your home, I would encourage you to. Uh, <laughs> To use it for fire, use it for fire. And
0: uh, now, now we we find a link that brings us back to New York. No. the original name for Easter Island is actually not even Rapa Nui. I have it here written down. I'm not going to say it. it's this crazy long Polynesian word, but what it means is,
2: come on, Maui, Mark. you
1: really want it, don't? Maui
2: Mark, Hi. give it to us. Oh, he
0: called me Maui Mark. Now this reminds me of like it.
1: full on, like, uh, Forgetting Sarah, forgetting Sarah Marshall, where he's oh, naming sugar. all the fish. And then he goes, No, I can't even pronounce it, the whole Hawaiian one. That's exactly, yeah, dude, that's exactly what it sounds like, actually.
2: If you keep doing this, we're going to call you Moai Mark.
0: Well, now I can't find it. I talked all that
2: noise and I can't find where I wrote it down. Uh, he's just making it up. No.
0: I got it. Okay, I got it. I got it. Okay, here it is: the original name of Easter Island, Te Pito o Te Kanga, Alta Maka, the naval of the world.
2: Speaking of eighties, that sounds like Job of the Hut. <laughs> the naval of the world. Yes.
0: Now I want to talk about that for a second because that believe it or not—that relates directly back to this area in upstate New York, the naval of the world. What they're saying there. Is that, and this is a geological reality that Easter Island sits on the Nazca Plate on the very edge. And where these plates rub up against each other, we discussed this a little bit before on the last episode the Ring of Fire. So, what you have is a huge subterranean chasm that leads down into, according to some, a subterranean ecosystem. Mm-hmm. This was the theory of Jules Verne, and this was the theory of Charles Hapgood. And most people don't realize this, but Hapgood's crustal displacement theory was indeed endorsed by Albert Einstein. Hmm.
2: I and mean, we interviewed a guy last night who, who, who bailed out in the middle of the episode because he was talking about this. What? Well, I think it, he went, I th- he went th- down. I think it's there.
1: fascinating, Nate, that, like, to, to record this episode, Mark, and then talk. We just talked about the missing 411 maps of missing peoples, and you can overlay it with a few things. One is Bigfoot sightings. And yes. you can overlay it also with, according to our
2: interview last night, with cave maps. And you can also do weather, rain maps. You
0: absolutely can.
2: And this fits
1: because if we're to hypothesize that the Wendigo is in fact a a gi- some sort of hybrid giant, you know, when people talk about mountain giants, I need to bring that up for Nate because Nate loves talking about mountain giants, but... If you were to, if we were to just hypothesize that that giants are hiding in the earth and in caves, and that's what we see with some of the anecdotal stuff out of even out of Afghanistan with the giant of Kandahar, is they're in these caves, and then you can overlay caves with the missing people, and you can overlay Bigfoot sightings with with the caves and with the missing people, and you add this whole Wendigo lore into it, which would be a, a, a hybrid giant. This all kind of makes sense, man. It, it's kind of like you lining these things up, and it's you know points out to things that are happening under the earth as well, which is what we hope to get into at some point too, talking about the dumbs and the subterranean stuff, and even into some of the hollow earth ideas, um, which are wild. Dude, Luke,
2: it's crazy, because if you look at it on Google Maps, if you look at Easter Island, it looks like there's a subterranean volcanic tube that goes from the island all the way up to Peru. And obviously, we've talked about the megaliths in Peru. We know the giants were there. And looks like there's this trail on Google Maps. If you look at the layers view, you can see... Almost looks like a, an old roadway or some sort of volcanic plate tectonics or something.
0: Well, Thor, Thor Heyerdahl's well, he was the explorer who he believed that there was an, uh, an ethnic and, and cultural link between the ancient Andean people of Peru and uh, Rapa Nui.
2: Really? He connected them? That's fascinating. Because it goes to Nazca, and we know about the Nazca lines, and I wonder if there was this old pathway or volcanic tube, or what if— The island's connected. What if they went underground and they could connect to these? Is that crazy? Underground railroad uh, roadways?
0: Not not at all. We know for a fact there are underground uh, waterways. I want to bring this bad boy back to New York. Yeah, do it. Because the ring of fire obviously doesn't apply to New York. But guess what? Right in this Mm. area where these people are missing where these megaliths are found, where the wendigo allegedly snatches people. By the way, there's also a ton of UFO sightings. We won't even go uh, into the aerial phenomena, but there's all sorts of aerial phenomena in this area too. This is a convergence of land masses. It's not where the tectonic plates are, but it is nonetheless a convergence of land masses. You've got the Adirondack Mountains. They converge with the Green Mountains, and they also converge with the Catskill Mountains. But this is not one patch of mountains. These are three geologically distinct mountain ranges that come crashing together in this intersection of land masses. And that's why this is happening here. Because underneath the ground is a huge Swiss cheese labyrinth leading all the way down into the Nether Realm. The Nether Realm. The Nether Realm. Now, I want to say something. The word Adirondack, that's a Native American word. And that that word means bark eaters. And that is related. Mm. The bark eaters to which they refer are the Wendigo. What bark eaters means is the harsh winters up there are so brutal that they would resort to eating tree bark to survive.
1: Mm.
0: Now, this is super, super relevant, guys, because... If you study the pattern of people who go missing up in these woods, Mm. a lot of them, including the most recent double whammy, I shouldn't talk about it like that. We're talking about missing people here. Okay, so it's really serious. But there was a double disappearance in 2015. The point I'm getting at is the pattern of disappearances, they almost all occur in late fall, early winter. That's right before the heavy winter sets in. There's no wildlife to hunt up there. Hmm. So that's why they're snatching people to survive the winter. Man. And 2015 is not long ago, fellas. That's seven years ago in November of 2015. An 80-year-old hunter, Tom Mezik, goes out with six other people, including his best friend and his son. And they go to hunt. And the old-timers right? They they get in a nice line right alongside the road, while the other four young fellas, they attempt to flank any wildlife and drive them towards the old fellas because they don't want to move, the old guys. So they just sit there and wait. And this whole thing was going to be like a two-hour hunt. They got there in the afternoon. They were going to be done before dark. All Tom Mesick did was just sit there on a rock. And when the two-hour hunt was up, He's gone. And they initiated a huge, unbelievably, suspiciously huge search, I would say. FBI was involved within 48 hours. You guys, the the FBI is a machine of bureaucratic protocol. They do not investigate a man lost in the woods. They do not care if he was murdered. No matter what happens, that is not within their protocol. But you know what is within their protocol is a long-term pattern of abduction. And that's exactly what they know it is. And that's why they're there.
1: It's interesting. Mm.
0: And, and, and it gets really spooky. Mezick's friend who was out there said he heard a strange noise in the woods that he had never heard before. And this is a man who hunted and fished his whole life. He said he heard a loud snapping sound. It sounded almost like a giant trap shutting. And his name is Sid Sharp. And I want the Mezic people or the Sharp people, if anyone can relay this to them, to tell him I know what that sound was. Because he says it keeps him up at night. He's trying to figure it out. And it was tension recoil from a, a tree. One of these Wendigos jumped off the mountainside, pulled down the tree, and released it. And that's what he heard, I think.
1: Sounds like a Bigfoot, too. Yeah.
2: That's wild. I could only imagine. Maybe the snapping noise was his teeth, chomping his jaw together, and they ready to yeah. eat.
0: I, well, and um, the crazy thing is 10 days into Mezik's search, 40 miles south, another man vanished, another elderly hunter man. Mm. And they moved the entire gigantic search party, which found absolutely nothing. They moved it 40 miles south and searched for Fred Drum. And again, found absolutely nothing. Oh, and I forgot there was a weather incident uh, when they started searching for Mezik. Huge rainstorm kicked up when they were searching for Mezik. Man. And so you see how these things, all, these things all stack up neatly next to each other.
2: And people listening, there's no physical evidence. There's no evidence of an abduction. There's no nothing. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can pull it up. Nothing. Watch Politis's, uh missing four and one. The hunted. These stories are are there. I mean, like you know, a lot of our listeners are familiar with Politis' work, but you know, there's a su- there's a there's a super fine subset of these missing people that just completely vanished without almost without a trace. To- you know. And it's, it's a fascinating way to, to look at this in light of what we know to be going on in the the Bigfoot world, as far as, and, and then what we also, you know, this idea of Wendigo hybrid giants, mountain giants, all of the above, these things that go bump in the night. It's, fa- it's fascinating, too, that these things happen in the northern regions as well. And a lot of this is, a lot of the Wendigo stuff is Canada, as well as the, you know, the upper northern reaches of the United States and those those places a lot like a lot of the Bigfoot stuff are, are sparsely populated right these these there are these corners and nooks and crannies of our vast continent here that doesn't does not have a lot of people you know if we look at this through the through the lens of of the way that the the giants were pushed and then you know in and survived to stay alive and away from annihilation then you know easter island and the nether reaches of the continent would make sense right
0: yeah there there was another aspect to the vanishing i, I want the audience who you know if you yeah, have they if they're not familiar with the missing of uh, phenomena one aspect of it is that huge huge sophisticated search and rescue efforts go down And search and rescue data tells us that the majority of these searches yields a fine dead or alive within a few days, we're talking high 90%. So when these anomalous ones occur, it's really statistically uh, significant. And in the case of MESIC, they had over 50 agencies participating, several hundred searchers helicopters with FLIR, forward-looking infrared radar. They had a canine unit and all of it found absolutely nothing. And I think, again, there's a clue in the Polynesian traditions. When some of these giant cannibals are uh, evading for their life in the Polynesian accounts, sometimes they use magic to initiate weather events, which seems to correlate here. But then there's another one where it says they can enter into the uh, certain passages into the underworld by saying a, a word or a sound or a frequency. And so I believe in these places, these upheaval zones, there are certain passageways that by way of sound, they're able to slip in and out of the mountain. And that's why they're never finding anybody, because they're being taken into these hiding places within the mountain.
1: Sounds a lot like a portal. Sounds a lot like Mount Shasta. Yeah, I
0: think so. It's just not, not like interdimensional. I think it's just like a portal into the mountain.
2: And the, the evidence supports that because they'll be sitting somewhere in a field or they're in, yep. and there's just like no footprints. It's like they just up and vanished. And at first you just think it's something simple like, oh, it's just a it's just a Bigfoot grabbing people. But then you're like, well, there'd be footprints. There'd be maybe some hair. There'd be some sign that that, that he was involved. But there isn't any. Yeah. You know. And then forty agencies. So my question mark is why, why, for why all these agencies? What the heck? What the heck? What do they know? What are they looking for? What are they hoping to find? Why? I mean, they they probably know what they're looking for, but what do they think they're going to do? Find this thing?
0: Yeah, I I can tell you that if you look at the history of Adirondack Park, it again links to all these things because Adirondack Park is not a national park. It's an anomaly in and of itself in American history. It, Adirondack Park is like 2.6 million acres of, for, quote, forever wild land, end quote. And you know when that was determined? In 1894. And that's significant because guess what? There was a lot of develop going, uh, development going around in New York. And that is, that is right smack in the middle of when all those giant reports uh, were coming up all over the country. And now all of a sudden they say this huge swath of land mm. is, is forever wild. And still Ooh. to this day, greedy New York industrialists are pissed off because they want to develop that land. And they can't.
2: That's why I was asking you, you know, you wonder what the real, the real motive is. And if they're coming out there, then they, have some, they probably have some knowledge of this creature. They're not out there to save people. Yeah. I think the volunteers have good motives, but I don't think the agencies, I think they operate on a different understanding and a different motive.
0: Well, according to Mezek's wife, the FBI approached her during the search and said, we think there's something not right here, but we won't know until we make a recovery exactly what. And that's all they told her. And, you know, that's super, that's a super inappropriate thing to say to her because she could interpret that like her her son's or his best friend might have had some, some, you know, been involved in some kind of murder and, and and I want to point out that I, I mentioned these missing. There's so much more. You go back to the, and, and Politis never mentioned this, but there's a section in Vermont they called the Bennington Triangle, because between 1945 and 1950, people went missing once a year. One person went missing once a year for five straight years, all within this so-called Bennington Triangle, because it's near the town of Bennington in Vermont but that's right within this same zone. And those, those instances all match the 411 criteria. People just went out there and vanished. Mm. So this goes back a long time. And that's probably why the FBI knows there's a pattern here. Mm. Because they're looking, the, the FBI is all about data and bureaucratic procedure and, and, and statistical analysis. So when they pop up, when Tom Messick goes missing, that's because they know it's part of a pattern a criminal
2: pattern something deeper something crazier yeah it's wild man it's wild to think about all these things and I, I appreciate you coming on telling us these stories I mean we, we we're trying to figure out like if these creatures are in the woods still and what they are and obviously we're starting to get some reports of people seeing them even doing a show like this you wonder like do they really see that or do they not see that but huh. yeah it's hard to take someone's personal account and it's just it's just do you do you believe their story or not but the data says that the, these things are out there and they're taking people and it's and it's a much crazier phenomenon than just an, an an animal. It's more complicated than maybe even Bigfoot. These nephilim creatures are still out there. People still seeing them.
0: Yeah, it's, it's I mean, you know, like I I hear reports and I and I appreciate them, but when you got historic archaeological reports of giant bones being discovered And then you've got huge megaliths, these boulders, these balancing rocks. And then you've got the Native American traditions. And see, I put more weight on those because those aren't just like people like, hey, I got a story. To the Native Americans, storytelling is sacred medicine. You know, it's something you need to keep you right. Like it's something that is very important to them. And they don't believe in fiction. To them, reality is cool enough. You don't need fiction. And then the archaeological evidence on Easter Island, and then the missing people—these people, These people are really missing. I mean, it's not a story, you know. Tom Mezig's family's devastated. Fred Drum's family's sure. devastated. So there's real phenomena out here, and I'm trying to figure it out.
2: Mm. So are we? I mean, we're from a different perspective. We're all trying to help each other, and we said that last night on the show. We had a guy that just couldn't keep telling a story. It, It's—he experienced so much trauma. It seemed mm. that he just. He he backed out. He was a native, mm-hmm. living on the uh, living on the reservation, and experienced some really just wild stuff. We kind of ended the show with saying that just that, like we're trying to help people, yeah, because somewhere someone's had some experience and they have no one to talk to and they don't know what's going on and it and it, they go places like this to try to figure out what happened. What happened to me? It's good well, to give people some yeah. some answers so they can realize that oh yeah you know that this spiritual war that we've we've heard about is real and you better. Better get involved. Well, I can, say, I can say from my perspective,
0: so I'm too radical and biblical for the scientific community, and I'm too scientific and biblical for the alternative whoop de doo community. Right. So where am I go? Where do I go? I'm just on an island talking to a volleyball about Nephilim hominids. <laughs> hey, that's us. Here that's we get- us. Well, now what I'm saying, I, I – hey, I'm glad to be glad to be yeah, home. That's right.
2: We're glad to have you. You just pave your own way, man. You just we can't believe how many people tune in and download these shows. And our last show with you did so well. We 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 wanted to have you back on. We'll have to do do another one on the kivas in the future about these portal places. Sure. But uh. Sure. It just seems that we, we we're trying to keep it light here on our show, man. But we can't help but keep getting, it just gets darker and crazier. Luke and I just like scratch our heads. Like we're trying to find some yeah. Indiana Jones type material. And then you're like, these things are eating people.
0: Yeah, like, <laughs> oh, Dude, my, my book, I, I really struggle with that in the book. You know, yeah, Heming- Hemingway said, don't write negative. And all I'm doing is criticizing scientists. And I'm telling people that there's cannibals out there and they need to watch out. History is a lie. And, and then, so I'm like, man, I, I got to lighten this up. So I start making these like morbid cracks about <laughs> things. And then I'm like, well, that's not appropriate. But so my book is just right. this wild menagerie of lunacy
1: and brilliance. Yeah. And brilliance yeah. Mark, Mark reminder our listeners where they can, where they can find you and uh, inter- interact yeah. and find your book and all the above.
0: I'm, I'm on Instagram, uh, a- ancient anomaly adventures. Uh, you can find my articles on ancient origins magazine. Or uh, megalithic marvels just wrote a couple of really cool articles for megalithic marvels and Derek Olson.
1: Good man. Yeah. And
0: yes, sir. And I will have two books coming out hopefully by Christmas time. One nonfiction called the Nephilim Theory, and one fiction mm. called Paradigm Lost,
1: science fiction.
2: Mm. You can find them on Hawaiians Only as Maui Mark, <laughs> Maui Mark <laughs> as well. <laughs>
1: Are we're looking for your, 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 uh, your Aloha shirt brand launching next year, too. Yeah. When's it we coming? Got, we've got Panama Jack. We've got. I was going to Mau- say,
0: I was going to say, yeah, Panama Jack and Maui Jim, they'll come after me. Right?
2: Maui, <laughs> Maui Mark and. Magnum PI. But
0: I, uh, but I didn't invent my name, they called me that.
2: We appreciate it. And we definitely need to do a show on Tennessee, the anomalies here in our, our home state of Tennessee, or our second home state <laughs> on <not> our original. <laughs> And uh, getting to the blurry ancient stuff here—the things that people don't want to talk about—Mark, thank you so much for coming on Blurry Creatures, and we're glad that this feels kind of like home for you. A lot of people feel that way, and have been emailing us that this is some stuff they've been talking about their whole life, and they—they're all their friends looked at them like they had a third eye, right. and then you come on and say there are things out there with three eyes, and they're—they're they're looking at you. Well, they might might want to take you home for dinner
1: (laughs) and Tommy Bahama kick, kick rocks. We've got Matt. We've got Maui Mark. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, yeah. And I I just
0: want to say, too. Yeah, it it is much appreciated what you guys do. And and, you know, it gets dark, but you do your best. You know, you try to keep it light and and just keep on. Just keep on. Don't certainly don't worry about the haters. You could just be giving away free money and there would be a group of people like trashing you on the Internet. Yeah,
2: there always is <laughs> that is true that is true people do that on youtube and it gives you they get haters still yeah don't even worry and uh that. thanks for giving you some of your time during the day and we'll, we'll hit up you soon about the tennessee anomalies or the kivas one of these two
0: anytime there's you know there's there's more of course i mean always more
2: <laughs> yeah there's no yeah, shortage
0: for- of ancient mysteries we could do a show a day for like two years
2: that's that's, that's what we're trying (laughs) we're trying to do that eventually I
0: mean I would go insane I might get I might get there anyway but
2: if I could only edit that fast (laughs) I'm going insane (laughs) appreciate it fellas see you brother
0: see
2: you.